0: Well, today, um, Ben and I are, are initiating a, another brief series of messages that will lead us right up to our celebration of Advent and Christmas. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about things that are important to Christians as it relates to a biblical and Christian world view. And because this is the week um, of our national elections, Uh, we thought it wise uh, to look at the issue of uh, the realm of the state and in particular politics and in particular today because of the brevity of time we have on the elections that will take place on Tuesday. Next week, we will look at compassion and the call of Christ that as his agents in the world, that we would be ministers of compassion to those who are uh, helpless and oppressed, and how we reach out as the church of jesus christ with compassionate hands of of love and service to those around us on this planet and then on the third week of november uh, we will be looking at uh, the call of missions and how we as christians are ta- to take the light of the gospel to the ends of the earth and then on the fourth sunday of november the sunday prior to thanksgiving when we will all Uh, be anticipating gorging ourselves with turkey and stuffing and pumpkin pie on that Sunday we're going to talk about the problem of world poverty and in particular hunger Uh, what a contrast that will be looking at hunger on Sunday and then feasting on Thursday but Ben will help us look at the problem of poverty and hunger and what we as the children of God are to do about it and how we're to engage in it. So I hope you'll be here for that, and then starting on November the 30th, we will begin our celebration of Advent and the birth of Christ. Today we're dealing with the issue of politics. And in preparation for this message, I was trying to find a, A good way to introduce this topic, and I was reminded of a book that I read several years ago um, that talked about the destruction of Rome. Uh, I don't know if you know this part of world history or not, but on August 24th, 410 A.D., the great city of Rome and its empire was sacked by the Visigoths, led by Alaric in 410 A.D. And for the people living in that time in the 5th century, it was the sacking of Rome was as traumatic an event as September 11th, 2001, was for us. Rome, the great capital of the greatest empire the world had ever known, was plundered by uncouth and uncivilized barbarians. And after the destruction of Rome, there was a humble bishop who lived in North Africa. His name was Augustine. And he sought to put pen to paper and write down some of the important lessons that Christians should take away from the destruction of Rome. The result of Augustine's Pennings were, was a book that I think is as relevant today as it was in the 5th century. The book is called The City of God by Augustine of Hippo. In this book, in The City of God, Augustine introduces to his readers two separate cities. The City of Man and the city of God. According to Augustine, the city of man is shaped by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. And the city of God is shaped by a love for God, even to the contempt of self. And in describing these two cities, the city of man and the city of God, Augustine reiterates the teachings of Jesus that while Christians, Christ followers, disciples of Christ, live in this city of man, this world that we know in our societies, that as Christians, as Christ followers, we do not belong to the city of man. Our presence in this earthly city is, in the city of man is is to play the role of strangers and pilgrims, aliens and exiles who are on a journey, on a journey to their eternal home. And there are hints of that home. I'm glad there are hints of that home because it keeps me with my eye fixed on heaven. There are hints of that home that is ours as followers of Christ, but we have to admit that we aren't there yet, are we? As pilgrims and sojourners, we are citizens in two places the city of man and the city of God. We are to enjoy the blessings in the city of man and all that the city of man has to offer, including its rights and its protection. And it's preservation of order. But we as citizens in the city of God, as pilgrims, we must always be ready to move on from this city to our true home, the city of God. Our true home, friends. In case you've lost sight of it, our true home is not this world. Our true home is in the city of God. As the old gospel says, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We are pilgrims and sojourners in this world. And it is not to the city of man that we ultimately owe our loyalties and our allegiance. But instead, as followers of Christ, as a part of Christ's body, our ultimate loyalty is not to the city of man, but instead to the city of God. Is that not what Paul meant when he said in his words to the Philippians in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven? Now, all of that may sound to you like Augustine is recommending that as Christians that we uh, draw back and withdraw from society and disengage and recommend that Christians should just withdraw from the societies around them. Please understand, if that's what you think, and the conclusion you've drawn, it is anything but that. Augustine taught that we are to enjoy the blessings of the city of man, but as we enjoy the blessings of the city of man, we are also to assume the obligations of citizenship too. Therefore, as citizens of heaven we should understand that our civic duty is not done out of compulsion, but for a Christ follower to do our civic duty in the city of man is to be done out of love and obedience to God and our love for neighbor. We do it out of obedience to God. And I believe, if I can take Augustine's principles and extrapolate it more, I believe that this week exercising our right as a citizen of the city of man that part of our duty is to vote it should not be news to most of you if you've been awake for the last two years it should not be news to you that on Tuesday of this week we are invited to participate in the civic duty of selecting our national leaders, our states' leaders, our local political leaders. And I would submit to you this morning that the opportunity that you and I have to vote this week is not only our civic duty as a resident and a citizen in the city of man, but I believe also it is a sacred duty that we as citizens of the citizen, as the city of God, must take hold of. So that when you go to the polls on Tuesday, you enter into that voting booth as a pilgrim on your way to your eternal home. And the selections that you make and the votes that you cast, you must understand when you flip that lever, when you check that ballot, that you will be exercising not only your civic duty, but also a sacred one as well. And I urge you to do so. Take the time to go and cast your vote. Let your voice be heard. But my question this morning is this. How do we come to a place where we discern and know how to discharge this sacred responsibility? Many are still undecided. Some are yet confused about whom they will vote for on Tuesday. Some of us uh, have been engaged in many debates, heated debates, some of us, over the issues that plague our country, the economy, health care, what are we going to do about it, the war on terror, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan. The environment, as it seems to be crumbling, abortion, energy, uh, independence, immigration, a battle plan uh, for Iraq and Afghanistan, the definition of marriage, job creation, and more. My concern, however, is that because of the recent economic struggles that our country has been engaged in, that some of us will be prone to not step back and look at the bigger picture as a Christian and we'll vote just our pocketbooks rather than looking at a, a, another grid that should guide us in making our decisions. How do we choose on Tuesday what matters most? How is a Christian supposed to decide and what uh, what to vote for and what to reject in politics? Who do we decide to support in this election? I was... Helped in my thoughts this week by the former director of the National Association of Evangelicals, Robert Dugan, who gave a grid of five things that should guide Christians in making their choices for leaders and potential laws of the land. Dugan gives these things, and I'm going to give them to you quickly. He says a Christian should think about these five principles when he or she makes their decision. The first is this, that we should be concerned about the preeminence of religious liberty and that any candidate or any legislation that restricts the practice of religious faith should be absolutely resisted. Secondly, he says that Christians, as they make their choices about potential candidates and laws, should be concerned about the protection of life as being sacred. Because God has created human beings in the divine image, in His image, that all people are created with the imago dei stamped upon them. Therefore, because all life is valuable to God, how can a Christian citizen who takes their citizenship in the city of God seriously, how can a Christian citizen ignore what the election of a candidate will mean who doesn't value life. Killing embryos for stem cells or ending the life of a child through abortion, using our tax dollars to pay for abortions and forcing uh, pro-life doctors and nurses to choose between taking part in abortions or losing their jobs. We should not put up with those kinds of candidates or policies that don't treat life as sacred unto God. And while it is tragic that over 4,000 brave young women and men have given their lives in the war in Iraq and Afghanistan over the last several years, a tragic thing, please consider this when you step into the poll. That in the same, that the same number of abortions have taken place in the last 36 hours in our country. And yet, our voices are silent. And we must do everything in our power in exercising our sacred duty. We must do everything in our power. To retain the God-given dignity of human life and any candidates or legislation that treats life frivolously should be ultimately resisted and those individuals should be routed out of office. Thirdly, provision of justice for all. Candidates and legislation must reflect God's concern, God's concern for justice and equity. If you read the Old Testament book of Amos, you will find there convincing evidence that God desires human government to promote laws that protect the poor and the oppressed and the disadvantaged, to protect them from exploitation and oppression. And we must resist anyone who will seek to discriminate, particularly the poor and the disadvantaged, as followers of Christ. Fourthly, our decision should be guided by a preservation of the traditional family. From the book of Genesis forward throughout the entire Bible, you will discover that the family is God's vision for human society. The family is at the heart of the organic functioning of society. Therefore, any laws or any candidates that would negatively impact the family should be rejected. For example, any tax legislation that promotes single-parent families or penalizes a father for living with his family, I believe, is counterproductive. I also further believe that the promotion of same-sex marriages or civil unions runs counter to God's revelation and should be rejected. And Christians, people who are living in the city of man but whose citizenship is in the city of God, should reject anyone who comes against the traditional family. Number five, the promotion of Judeo-Christian values in education and legislation. What I'm talking about here are values of honesty, integrity, personal responsibility, hard work, and accountability. I'm tired of people looking for a free handout. I believe that it's time that we get back to some basics in our nation once again and that we make some sacrifices and we're not unwilling to roll up our sleeves and to work hard. I think that these values can be undermined by leaders who, who don't stand for these things, who, who don't stand for integrity, who don't stand for honesty, who don't take personal responsibility for their choices and their decisions. who wantonly lie, and who show disrespect for the law. And I don't believe we can trust individuals who act and behave that way. As Christian citizens, we believe that it is our calling of God to help our government, that God has ordained and established to help government live up to its divine mandate to render justice that's exactly what Paul was saying that's exactly what Peter was saying in our scripture readings today that these people are in their places not because some political party put them there but they are there by divine mandate and it is our job as Christian citizens our calling to help them live up to that divine mandate to render justice to be a follower of Jesus Christ means that we can't go along with policies and programs that are antithetical to the will of God, and we must express our displeasure over it when we go to the booth on Tuesday. We must speak out against this. You might feel that your voice is not heard, or your, vo- your vote doesn't count, but you are still obligated as you perform your sacred duty to let your voice be heard on Tuesday and speak out against ungodly, willful disobedience to God, even as Jesus and the prophets consistently did in their own day. And as salt and light, living in the city of man, we should seek as best we can, with the Spirit's help and power, we should seek to effect righteous change by exercising our sacred duty, not because the kingdom comes from Washington, D.C., but because God expects us as citizens of a heavenly kingdom and citizens of this city of man, God expects us to occupy faithfully and obediently until He comes again. We must not, as Christians, retreat into our sanctuaries and our holy huddles and neglect our civic responsibility. Instead, Christ requires us that we stop cursing the darkness and we bring the light of Christ to our world and our nation. A life that reflects the glory of God, that speaks God's truth, that offers Christ's compassion, and that offers the gift of Christian love. Did you catch it, what Peter said to these Asian Christians who were being persecuted for their faith in the empire of Rome? He says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you would silence the talk of foolish men. Friends, it is time for the church to get out of the pew. It's time for the church to get out into the highways and byways and be Christ to our communities. It is time for us to take the salt and light into this decaying society and bring the influence of Christ, the influence of the city of God into the city of man, working for justice and righteousness. So then, on election day, and won't you be glad when it's over, (laughs) we will all breathe a sigh of relief. God help us that there are no hanging chads on Tuesday night. (laughs) On election day, we should exercise our sacred duty. And as the best citizens in the city of man, we should go into those booths exercising values that reflect the city of God and choose the candidate, the candidate's, and the laws and the propositions and the judges and the justices and all that we have to vote for, we should choose those who are best when it comes to these things that we value. Unfortunately, we don't have a perfect candidate this year. I wish we did. Probably more than you. You understand that I can't tell you today how I'm going to vote. Maybe you can tell by the decision grid that I've used. (laughs) Perhaps that offends you, but I can't speak it publicly. I don't want to put at jeopardy or risk my duties as a minister in the kingdom of Christ. But I do have a strong opinion. And while there is no perfect candidate, I think there is one who lines himself up better with this decision grid that I've offered this morning. And regardless of who wins on Tuesday night, on Wednesday, when the campaigns are over, the voting is concluded, and the Political ads no longer fill your mailbox. (laughs) And the phone calls stop interrupting your evening meal. And the debate over morning coffee at the morning clutch at McDonald's changes to other themes. Let us remember that our ultimate security is in Christ. And in the unshakable kingdom of God, no matter what presidential candidate or party wins. It seems to me that one of the particular dangers that so many Christians seem to often fall prey to is that we begin to elevate the outcome of an election like this. Many are saying this is the most important election of our lifetime. That we begin to elevate the outcome of presidential elections to an apocalyptic status. In other words, we say, if our presidential candidate or party does not win on Tuesday, then we begin to see it as the end of the world. And when we allow ourselves to understand politics in those kinds of terms, we are, I believe, at the same time expressing an unbelief in the sovereignty and the lordship of God over his creation and all of human history. Yes, indeed, elections have real consequences, winners and losers. And there will be real consequences for real people. And we may get the president that we need, or we may get the president that we deserve. But in the larger scheme of history, as residents of the city of God, we should not worry. We should not fret. No matter who becomes our president, God is in control. And He knows what's going on. And it doesn't come as a surprise to Him. And no matter who wins on Tuesday, on Wednesday morning when our eyes pop open, I can't predict who the winner will be. I'll stay up to 4 a.m. to see who it is. (laughs) I can't predict who it will be, but I can predict this that no matter who wins on Tuesday, on Wednesday morning, the Bible will still have the answers for our deepest needs. I can't predict who's going to win on Tuesday, but I can predict this, that on Tuesday, or Wednesday, I'll be tired by then, on Wednesday... When my feet hit the floor and my knees hit the floor, that prayer still changes things. I can't predict who's going to win on Tuesday, but I can predict this, that on Wednesday morning... The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, will still be living in me and in you if you're a Christian, and He will still be working in power and still be, the Holy Spirit will still want to be pouring out His power on His people with a fresh wind of the Spirit. I can't predict who's going to win on Tuesday, but I can predict this, that on Wednesday morning, when we get up and we begin to Celebrate the goodness of the Lord that God will still inhabit the praises of his people. I can't predict who's going to win on Tuesday, but I can tell you this, that God on Wednesday morning is still going to want to pour out his blessings on your life And he will love you with an everlasting love and his mercies will be refreshed and renewed toward you on Wednesday morning, just as they were this morning and will be tomorrow morning and will be Tuesday morning and all the days thereafter until Christ comes again. And I don't know who's going to win on Tuesday, but I know this, that God through Christ has a heart for the lost and he wants to bring his grace and his mercy to a poor lost sinner like me and he wants to forgive and cleanse and set your feet on a new path and i can't predict who's going to win but i can tell you it's really great to know who's in control and it is the king of kings and the lord of lords praise be to his name let's pray together On this day, Lord, as we gather here, we express our true loyalty and citizenship and acknowledge that we, your people, belong to you, heart, soul, mind, and all of our strength. And so we seek you, O God, for guidance. Just as we seek you for guidance in other aspects of our life here on this planet, so today, O oh God, we would seek you for guidance in our political lives as well help us Lord to make decisions on Tuesday that reflect a concern for the teachings of Jesus help those who we are about to elect to public office help them to understand that their real source of mandate has not been given to them by a political party and will not be received at a polling booth and will not be determined by an electoral college, but their mandate is given to them by none other than God himself. And guide us as a nation, O God, that we might be true to you. Keep us ever mindful of our true loyalty and our first devotion. And to remember that we are just pilgrims passing through. That we are citizens in heaven. These things we pray through the name, the most holy name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forevermore. Amen.